Hi, I'm Sarah. And I'm Courtney. And this is the Dance Better Podcast. This is our platform to shed some light on the impact that ballet training has on the mental health of both current and former dancers. Together with some amazing experts, we're discovering what things dancers can do to help counteract some of those habits and ideas that might not be serving them. So keep listening to hear real stories from real dancers, mental health professionals, and many more to help you dance better. Hey everyone, today Sarah and I spoke with former professional dancer and now graduate student Glenn Keelich. Glenn was both a high school football player as well as a pre-professional ballet student. He went on to graduate from Indiana University's rigorous ballet program with a Bachelor of Science in Ballet, as well as an outside field in sports marketing and management. Following graduation, he danced with the Kansas City Ballet and the Indianapolis Ballet for three and a half seasons. Now he's a graduate student pursuing a master's in mental health counseling from Indiana University. Yes, Glenn was fascinating. He spoke candidly about his experience as a football player and ballet dancer, his struggles with concussion injuries and mental health, and also ways in which he feels the ballet world could change for the better. We do want to mention that no one on the episode today are mental health professionals, so anything you hear us say are things from our lives, what worked, what didn't work, and just our experiences, and none of that should be considered medical advice. If any of the things we share do resonate with you, we encourage you to talk to your doctor or click the link below to find the best healthcare professional for you. We also want to mention anything we say in this podcast is a reflection of our dance experience as a whole and not any one teacher, studio, or company. Secondly, the opinions shared by our guest in this episode are those of our guest and their personal experience from their individual viewpoint. Experiences and opinions shared, while cathartic, are also for a mutual purpose to aid in opening a dialogue about making experiences better for artists everywhere. This was such an energizing conversation with Glenn, and we are pumped to share it with you all today. Here you go. Hey, everyone. Hi, Sarah. How are you doing today? Hey, how are you? I'm well. It's sunny again here today. Yesterday it was snowing. Today it's sunshine again. So I'm just trying to hold on to the happy energy while I've got it. (laughs) Um, You guys, yeah. Today, we are so glad to introduce Glenn Keelich to the show today. Hi, Glenn. How you doing? Hey, guys. I'm doing well. Hey. How are you? <laughs> we're good. We're good. Um, so, Glenn, we're kind of just going to dive right in today. To kick us off, I would love if you can please give our listeners a quick overview of your history and dance, what you're up to these days, and kind of scratch the surface there of how your mental health evolved through each stage of your career so far. Yeah, first of all, thank you guys so much for having me. It's an <laughs> honor. You guys have had some really amazing guests. So it's so cool Aww. to be one of them. So I really appreciate you guys having Absolutely. me. Absolutely. Yeah, okay. So I'll give you just kind of a quick synopsis. So I started dancing at the age of 10. And um, right away when I was 10 years old, it was not the cool thing to do where I grew up to be a dancer. Um, was bullied throughout the majority of my younger days. And when I'm looking back on it now, realizing that's that's when some different mental health things started. Anyway, fast forward to high school. Um, I started to enjoy ballet. I started high school. I'm sorry. I started ballet as a sophomore, junior in high school. Um, and that's when things really started turning up uh, because I was playing all the traditional sports 
and trying to enjoy the high school life as well. Um, played football during high school uh, while dancing, but really turned up the volume on ballet uh, in those younger uh, years. So uh, yeah, that really evolved and it was good. It was good. High school was really good to me and the people at my high school, I, you know what, Brebuff, Brebuff Jesuit is the most amazing thing that ever happened to me because those people were the first people who told me it's okay that you do ballet. That's really awesome. Um, so that was really, really special to me. So I feel the need to say that. Yeah. And so um, everything was going pretty well. And then I uh, ended up going to IU. I was in the Jacobs School of Music. I graduated there with a Bachelor of Science in Ballet and an outside field in sports marketing and management. Um, so was still doing a little bit of two different lives, um, you know, having the ballet side and then balancing it out with my sports love and passion and uh, the other side to me that I couldn't let go of. Um, everything there went pretty well, and uh, I was lucky enough to um, begin in the second company after three years of college at Kansas City Ballet, um, where I uh, then started to really, really uh, get into the whole mental health world because I suffered a concussion while I was at Kansas City Ballet, which was actually like my third or fourth total um, oh, man. between a severe concussion my freshman year of high school, um, another one when I was younger, and then uh, this one. So uh, while I was at Kansas City, I had that concussion. Um, and concussions are things that you cannot see. So you don't always know how well they're healing. Um, mm -hmm. And I was not healing well. I went down a very dark hole um, and was stuck there for a very long time, which is actually where the mental health uh, interest started, which I, which I will wait to talk about more later, but just, you know, that's where the interest kind of sparked. And thankfully I was able to, um, get out of the hole. Eventually I went back to IU to finish my undergrad degree. I had a few classes left. I went back to finish my undergrad degree. <clears throat> and while I was doing that was actually when I was exploring what else to do with my life. Cause I kind of retired. Um, if you will, I don't know if you can retire after only dancing in a second company for like eight months, but um, retired, went back to school, did some digging, uh, exploring, found out that I really loved mental health um, and psychology, sports psychology, and wanted to blend the world somehow. And at the same time, got a wonderful opportunity to begin dancing with the Indianapolis Ballet. I was very fortunate that the artistic director reached out to me about a job and uh, danced there for a couple years while also doing my master's part-time, which brings me to now. Uh, which is finishing up my master's. I'm a full-time student while being a real estate agent and uh, have hopes of going on to a counseling psychology doctorate soon. So it is all in the works and it is all moving and it's been a great time and I'm just so thankful to be where I'm at now. So. What a history, <laughs> right? Wild history. <laughs> Wild history. Yeah, and you I love that. Yeah, guys, to also throw this little nugget in there, Glenn and I, our high school experience was at the same studio. So... Yes. Glenn and I danced, we partnered together. We were yeah. those, that's, that's how I know Glenn. <laughs> I have to throw this really quick story out there. So Courtney was my first ever ballet partner. Oh gosh. Man. It was like yes. January. It was, it was January. It was like my second day at ballet. And I remember one of my teachers saying, hey, come in here. You're going to try this partnering thing with Courtney. And I was like, all right, whatever. I didn't know what it was for. I had never done anything. I didn't know what I was doing. I could do a show, like a, whatever you know I shoulder, very, yeah. shoulder, shoulder sit, sit. Shoulder oh, yeah. sit. and that was all I knew how to do and he was like okay come press Courtney 
And I'm like, what? Are you kidding me? And Courtney <laughs> kind of looks scared. She's like, who's this guy? <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. And that was my first experience, but Courtney was a trooper and helped me get through it. it was hilarious. Oh, good times. Good times. Show. Like, yeah. yeah. Things moved quickly in those days. <laughs> it did, but I digress. Oh. <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, I love it. We love hearing about baby Courtney. <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. It was so much fun. Oh, gosh. I mean, I'm really taken aback right now, just sitting here listening to your brief story. And I'm really taken aback about, for you, the variety of interests that you had from a young age. And even now, you said you're also a real estate agent. Yes, I mean, I that's am. that's incredible. <laughs> but going back to your football days, um, football and ballet is a really interesting combo. I mean, I know you've heard of professional athletes taking ballet classes to help their agility and, you know, things like that. But um, I don't know that I've ever met someone who was seriously interested in both at that age. So what did that balance look like for you during high school? It's a really great question. Um, and honestly, the fast answer is that there was no balance um, because you would go from football practice uh, straight to ballet. Mm -hmm. So you'd be practicing until six and then you'd go to ballet from 6.30 to 10. Yeah. Um, and it was, it was crazy. And when I think back to it, I'm, I look back and I'm like, how in the world did we ever do that? How did those two worlds work? Um, but to the, to the point you made about athletes using ballet as a form of strengthening ability in some way. Um, that was kind of, you know, one of the, the reasons I was looking at it because I wanted to be a professional football player. Like that was my okay. dream growing up for the longest that I can remember. Um, I wanted to be a professional football player. And that's kind of what I always hung my hat on. And I was like, there are guys like Lynn Swan, who was a famous wide receiver for the Steelers. He was a ballet dancer. Peyton Manning had taken ballet classes before. Um, all of these football players that people knew and and I was like wow if they can do it you know I can do it and yeah. get the similar results from it um, so yeah I just kind of went into ballet with an open mind um, knowing that I, I enjoyed dance but not to the point of ever seeing myself pursue it um, until I started mm -hmm. doing ballet and I found a very special teacher his name is Sergey and I just want to throw his name out there because he is the reason that I I fell in love with ballet. Um, and so I'm very thankful for him. And, and yeah, in terms of the balance, it was, it was hard because you're always going, you're always moving. You don't really have any downtime, but I feel like when you're in it, you don't really realize it until you're not. Um, yeah, and then yeah. you look back on it and you're like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe I had the energy to do that. <laughs> It sounds like you kind of took those skills that you learned in that time on with you as you have been getting your master's degree and mm -hmm. continuing to dance and then doing the real estate thing. So it sounds like things haven't changed all that much. Maybe the physicality isn't as, as much, but it sounds like you're pretty much just as busy. <laughs> that's, the, that's the funniest thing is I feel like now, again, when I look back on it, I realize how busy I was and how crazy that might have been um, because I was also driving 50 minutes to Burbuff every day mm -hmm. by high school. And I think it, I, I'm so thankful for that because now, yeah, like you were saying, transitioning into what I do now, I love being busy. I don't like when I'm only doing one thing. I prefer having multiple things going on at the same time and kind of love living in that chaos that that creates, you know, like organized chaos. Mm -hmm. 
and and to to what you said yeah it was like a skill set i guess was developed during that time even though i didn't realize it which really helped with balancing college life you know doing academics um, doing this kind of like second degree in undergrad while also trying to pursue ballet so intensely um, and then to now you know um, doing my master's while being a real estate agent um, yeah it, it definitely translates into what I prefer to do now and what I what I am currently doing so it definitely worked out very cool bad. yeah taking taking you far places now I don't know about that but, <laughs> but I'm trying oh no absolutely I mean you you the only way to get there is one step at a time That's so right. You're just putting one foot in front of the other. Um, I wanted to touch a little bit on, you mentioned um, something that I don't know that I knew to that extent. And if you feel like sharing, uh, you know, you mentioned being bullied when you were really at a younger age here. Um, And I'm curious about how you navigated your peers' opinions from that young age where you felt more bullied and then being, you know, going then into a very supportive environment in high school and then going into a collegiate setting, what was that like? How did you navigate that at those different seasons? Because you're also in a different season developmentally during those years of life, you know? Absolutely, absolutely. I was surrounded by such supportive people in my inner circle. Um, so when I was, gosh, it was 10, 10 through 14 or whatever kind of elementary middle school ages uh, before high school. And yeah, I mean, I remember every name in the book being called getting you know pushed down and picked on and everything you can imagine but i'm so grateful because my my family has always been my my like my entire family has always been my biggest support system and i've always leaned on them for that and also the teachers i had in dance um, my very first few teachers were beyond supportive of me being whatever i wanted to be in that space so for me, that was showing up to, you know, tap class in a football jersey and cargo shorts. And they were so it. cool about that. And yeah. because they didn't make me change anything is now that I think about it, why I kept going back because I didn't have to, you know, wear tights, which I was getting made fun of for kids at school saying, oh my gosh, you know, you wear tights and throwing out derogatory things about that and what that might look like. And so it helped me along the development I had in terms of like, okay, I'm just dealing with one aspect. I'm just, I dance. I don't have to deal with all the things at the same time. And I also have all of these supportive people who are telling me like, hey, be you, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Whatever that is, be yourself in that space. Um, Mm -hmm. And then my family being my, my, you know, rock of my life um, as well. And then to what you said about in high school, in high school, it was completely different. I remember I was, a, it was freshman football. It was like that first, you know how like sports sometimes in high school, you go there over the summer before high school even starts. I remember walking off the field with a junior and a couple seniors and they were like all around me. They were like, you dance? So you get to hang out with all the girls? No way. <laughs> and that was the first bit of support from someone other than my family or my teachers that I had ever gotten. I will okay. never forget that moment. Because they let me be who I wanted to be also, whatever that looks like, because that looks different for everyone, but just letting me be myself and accepting me for whatever I wanted to do and whoever I wanted to be. And that was just so cool. Um, And also just what I needed for the development aspect 
of where I was mm -hmm. at and where I was going. Um, and then in college, yeah, in college, it's all different because you're always surrounded by those people, like 100% of the time. Mm -hmm. You know, like the people in your ballet program, for better or worse, <laughs> are the people that you're spending like 100% of the time with. And then they become your best friends, your support system, um, and everything. So, so there mm -hmm. it was obviously okay. And that's why I went to IU because I was able to still live that ballet, very conservatory lifestyle while also having Big Ten football and basketball. Um, yeah. and then being able to be my sports passionate, like, you know, self and yeah. have that and that have that huge campus feel. So it was best mm -hmm. of both worlds. So it was just kind of great timing for what I needed and what I wanted in that space. Um, and I'm very thankful for that. That's, That's awesome. awesome. So <laughs> at what point did you choose? Because I mean, you have both of these careers sort of laid out in front of you in your high school years and mm -hmm. you had such an inspiration in Sergey. So at what point did you go, okay, ballet is the thing? Oh, that's a great question. Yeah, I would say, honestly, but in between my junior and senior year of high school, I had only been doing ballet for like a year, really. And, and I knew I wasn't good enough to, I knew I wasn't good enough to be a professional football player. So I was like, okay, fine. We're going to give up on that dream. I stopped growing. <laughs> my skills were, you know, it was fun, but. Um, and so I was like, well, what else can I do? Because I love being athletic. I knew I loved to move. I knew I loved to exhaust my body. And I, I knew that that's something I wanted to do. And ballet provided me with that opportunity to be athletic and then also explore this new artistic side to it too, that I really loved so much. And, and so it was in between my junior and senior of high school. I, I just remember sitting down with my parents and really thinking about this and saying, hey, I actually think this is something I might want to do. I knew football wasn't going to work. I knew I wanted to be a professional athlete. Like I just, that's something I've always wanted. And, and ballet provided me that opportunity um, just because, you know, it was something that I had this growing passion for. And so I was like, well, if I have this passion for it, I should, I should give it everything I have. Um, and it was because it was in between junior and senior of high school, I had to decide, okay, where are you going to play your senior year? of football or are you going to devote yourself to ballet so that was like the moment of like if you play football you might get injured you might not get to audition for colleges and that was the hardest decision I had ever made up to that point honestly still might yeah. be like I remember mm -hmm. crying about it because like football was yes. my love and I don't know it was just something that I came to that decision because ballet had this fire I had this fire in me for it um, and mm -hmm. really wanted to give myself to it and so I decided that that's what I want to do. That's where I want to go, you know, with my life at that point. And so I gave it everything I had. I quit football and I started doing ballet full time. There you go. Amazing. Followed your passion. Listened to, listen to your heart. So, so going on to the professional side, you find yourself at Kansas city, you find yourself on the other side of concussion. You mentioned that in, in your intro a little bit as that kind of that moment in your life being a spark of sorts into this, emerging interest in mental health. Can you tell us a little bit more about what that experience was like and how that led you to then going into your master's and, you know, continuing down this road towards mental health, being a mental health professional? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So like I said, it was my third or fourth concussion um, already. And in, in the professional environment, being around dancers, 
uh, at the next level, I was already kind of in a funny mental space um, because college and professional levels are just different. And I didn't realize that until I saw it for myself in terms of what it takes to be a professional. Um, the mm -hmm. next level of um, training outside of the studio and in the studio, the intensity that you have to have. And like I've said, I've always had so many different interests that I was so turned off by the idea of giving myself fully to one thing. So I was mm -hmm. already in a really funky mental space. Um, and then I got the concussion. It was like September. We had started in like June and it was in September. And, um, and yeah, I just automatically, it was, it was so weird. It was like a complete 180. It was like, oh my gosh, not again. I had been there before I had, you know, the first, the first severe concussion I had, it took me about eight months to like feel like myself, uh, probably a year to feel like myself again. So it was just really a, are you kidding me? Like again, mm -hmm. oh my gosh. And, mm -hmm. and yeah, so, you know, when you're spending all of your time in a very, very teeny tiny studio apartment with no lights on and no friends because it's this new place and you don't know anybody, and no communication because you're trying not to be on your phone and, you know, no TV, you know, all the things that you have to try to do to, to come back from a concussion. And I, I mean, I just like lost reality with myself, with the world, with peers, with the, the ballet and that lack of communication, like really that distance that was put, a, put, put in between us was just really, really hard for me. Um, and I just started to like lose interest in everything. I started to not lose hope because it never got that bad. But in terms of like the situation I was in, um, realizing that I didn't want to be there and, you know, I got diagnosed with anxiety because I mean, a multitude of reasons, but I was so like frustrated and worried at the same time that I was like wasting my life and I was worried about my head and I was worried about everything I was doing. And, and so did get that uh, that did happen um but it was after i mean my mom i can't stress this enough my mom was the reason i came out of that like i used to talk to her we would talk on the phone i would put my hair headphones in so i didn't have to look at my phone and i would just walk back and forth in the very small strip of my studio apartment for like five hours a day deliberating with her of like I knew I was in a bad place and I wanted to get out of it because I've never, I've always been a super positive, optimistic person. Um, like always living through rose colored lenses is what one person said to me one time. And <laughs> like, I, I like that about myself and I was in a place where that wasn't the case and I didn't like that. And so I was like, how on earth do I get out of this? So, I mean, for months, we would talk for like five hours a day of how in the world can I get out of this? And it was honestly through just exploring myself and reflection that I realized, wait, I need to help people with this. Like I wanna help people with the same thing I'm doing, the same thing I'm going through, especially in the world of ballet, which I had never come across a sports psychologist at that time that had worked with ballet dancers. I had never been mm -hmm. referred to any resources and that is to no fault of anyone's, but they just aren't as readily available in ballet yeah. and in the arts it's just a gap in the industry absolutely yeah. it is absolutely and so it's not to anyone's fault it's just there was nothing and it had never been talked about mental health had never been talked about to me and so that's kind of where the idea sparked of like oh my gosh I want to be that person that helps people with that and 
So I started to get a little better towards the end of that semester. And I was like, you know what? I just, ballet has, I had already had a love-hate relationship with ballet because I'd had multiple injuries before. But just in terms of like, do I want to give it my all? Because I know what it takes to be a professional. I know it's going to take 100% of my energy. And um, so I was like, you know, I'm just going to go back to school. Um, so I went back to school in that entire semester. Again, was a lot of self-reflection, a lot of just like constant processing my feelings and thinking about like, what does this mean? And uh, again, my mom just listening to everything I was saying, because sometimes you just need to say it out loud. Meeting with so many people in the industry, I just started reaching out to people. I just start like the IU sports psychologist at the time. I just, I just emailed her and I was like, Hey, I have no idea what you do. Can I come ask you questions? And she was so cool. And she was like, yeah, absolutely. I love that. And so after I had a discussion with her, I was like, Whoa, this is so cool. You can actually do this. Like there's a thing for this. And I never realized that. And in a same similar fashion, I reached out to, it was, um, uh, an associate who was consulting with like the Boston Ballet. She was their sports psychologist. And she was also fantastic at just explaining to me what she does. And so I was kind of formulating what I wanted to do from all of these different people that I had talked to. And that's really where like I started to understand what could be. And then reaching out to people within my program, doing my online research, reaching out to people at IU saying like, hey, this is what I have an interest in. And they're like, hey, we have something for that. And we could definitely make that happen. Not for ballet necessarily, um, but for counseling psychology and mental health. And I was like, oh my gosh, no way. Like it's right here. <laughs> In your backyard, on your it's, campus. It's fantastic. Absolutely. So that's really where that all happened. And then taking my first sport and exercise psychology class and then falling mm -hmm. in love with it. So. And then running just, with it. And then running with it. And yeah. again, formulating what I wanted to do and having the right, that's kind of the theme having the right people around you is so right. critical. Mm -hmm. uh, and I've been very fortunate in that, in that sense. So something that you, you touched on that I really just want to emphasize here. We've got this theme right now going in some episodes about curiosity. And a lot of what our discussion has been about curiosity with self, like getting curious, why are you talking to yourself right. that way? What are the options? Like just approach it with, you know, some curiosity. But for you and your perspective and where, you know, what that life looked like outside of ballet and how can I merge these two worlds together and what does that mean? It's getting curious for you. It was getting curious on your options, mm -hmm. literally wondering, how can I do this? What are my options? How can I do this? And then having the boldness to just send the email and say, hey, mm -hmm. I, need, I need answers. Can you, can you, can I ask you questions? Um, just having that curiosity piece there and having the confidence behind the curiosity to take action mm -hmm. is, I think, so crucial and so cool with um, how you're describing all that. Yeah, and I think that a lot of dancers um, get so locked into their tunnel vision of their ballet world and there's nothing else they, or they don't have the energy to give to anything else that it's difficult for them to be curious and to explore those other avenues. So seeing someone like yourself who kind of didn't really have so much of the blinders on, it shows us all, you know, what opportunities are, are open to us if we are just willing to, to see them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Powerful. Absolutely. And, and that was the thing that I didn't like was that 
people kind of want you to keep your blinders on and be solely focused mm -hmm. on one yeah. thing. And I was like, no, that is not the way I roll. I've always <laughs> had so many other things I'm interested in. Yeah. And, and that's totally how it went. And that's one of the reasons why I wasn't um, comfortable being so solely focused on one thing. Um, because I knew I had all these curiosities that I wanted to explore. And there are absolutely ways to explore them while you're there. Mm -hmm. I just didn't feel like I could. So that's where that came yeah. from. Yeah, it's tough. So kind of talking a little bit about you've experienced ballet in different environments. You've been in a pre-professional school at one of the country's most elite collegiate programs and two ballet companies. So you've got a good, good amount of experience in different environments, but Going into your upcoming career as a dance psychologist or, or a counselor, what are the biggest holes in the ballet world, in the system, when it comes to mental health for dancers? That's a really great question. And I would say the, the first answer I have is be curious, stay curious. Um, kind of what you guys were saying. Because of you know those reasons of like, we need to explore and we need to continue to push boundaries and wonder why and, and, and not have our blinders on. You can be solely focused on one thing, but you can still have like a little side eye glare, you know, I on love something that. else. And I think <laughs> Yes. <that's... laughs> Sorry, I'm just like, yes. I'm just writing down my quotes, you guys, no biggie. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's so important because that's what happens when you have your blinders on is, is you're not curious. You kind of fall into a bit of a fixed mindset instead of a growth mindset. And it, it makes it more difficult to see the person as a whole person. Um, so, you know, when you ask me about holes in the system, this isn't necessarily for one place or one company. This is just kind of my general overview yeah. view of it, if you will, from my experiences, from experiences I've been told and everything. <clears throat> and I think it's that lack of seeing the person as a whole person. And I think it's not just dancers having blinders on, but everybody around it having blinders on too. Um, mm -hmm. Not to say that all experiences are like that, but a lot of them are. And um, even coming from the top, yeah, they have their blinders on sometimes too. And I think it's important for teachers, directors, um, you know, associates, executive directors, all the people involved to understand that there's so much more here, even if you can't see it. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's definitely something that's hard is when you can't see it, it's harder to understand. I mean, mm -hmm. it's hard to believe. Uh, so I, when I think about this, I think of like, when I teach a ballet class, I don't necessarily, I do now, but when I would go in, I wouldn't necessarily say like, how are you guys doing today? Like, let's sit down yeah. and have a chat and tell me what's going on. Like, don't just, you know how you walk by someone in, in the hall and you're like, hey, how you doing? They're like, good, you, good, okay, cool. Like, not just that, like, <laughs> how are you actually doing? Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you're bad, tell me you're bad. If you're tired, tell me you're tired. Let's talk about it. Mm -hmm for mm -hmm. 10 minutes before we do ballet class. Because if we talk about it and I understand what you need, then we can better go about this class or I can better understand what it's gonna take to get you where you wanna go. And seeing someone as a whole person and not just a dancer, I think is so important. I love that so much because I'm also a teacher and being able to, to approach each class, of course, with your syllabus that you've planned out for the whole year, you know, of course you have these tools that you you need to have as a teacher but 
having the flexibility and that growth mindset you were talking about to approach each class and each student a little differently and understanding that what you had planned for that day may not be what they need that mm -hmm. day. And you might mm -hmm. need to make some on the fly adjustments to a combination or, or whatever it is. So I, I love that approach so much. Yeah. And it's yeah, necessary. and what you were saying too about why are you doing that? And the fact that it's okay to do that. If you have to adjust, it's okay because it's, it's adjusting the next 90 minutes to what's gonna help them reach their goal. And if you can talk to them on a human level, just as a human, general compassion here for humankind to help them feel whatever they're gonna feel and know that they're in a safe space for the next 90 minutes, I would think that's gonna set them up for success in class so much more and feel so much more confident to try things or to speak up if they don't wanna try things, just allow the safety in the room when they know their teacher really cares about them because they didn't just blow it off when you said fine, but you weren't making eye contact because you're really not fine. If they instead said, hey, if they got curious and, and did that. And I think that also goes off of what you were saying too with kind of this, this entire encapsulating idea that the focus is on them as humans instead of as dancers, right? From all the roles involved, executive artistic directors, you know, the teaching staff, all the roles involved, if everyone is on the same page for this to help the human dancer, then the curriculum is set up that way. The studio culture is set up that way. The rehearsal schedule is set up that way. Everything is created with the humans in mind instead of with the outcome in mind. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh my gosh, absolutely. And I think you said culture. <laughs> And I think that's the big thing is like the culture that's created. Are we allowed to not be okay? Right? No. No. Um, Sometimes we're not. We're not, right. And that's right. The most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> most of the time. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And that has to change. I think approaching your students that way too, not only does it set them up for the next 90 minutes, but it's actually teaching them how to advocate for themselves as adults when they go out into the dance world and to not accept being treated than being treated less than human mm -hmm. um, and enough if enough dancers are raised that way to advocate for themselves then sorry directors but you're going to have no choice but to hire people who advocate for themselves and things are going to have to change that's where it gets tricky that's where it gets tricky <laughs> So here, Glenn, this, uh, this goes right into my next question I have for you, and I just really need to ask. <laughs> yeah. So in your opinion, right, when we talk about this whole mm -hmm. system that needs to change, mm -hmm. do you think that change that we see that, we're that is going to happen, it's going to happen, we're going there anyway already as an industry, mm -hmm. do you think that's going to happen from the top down? Are the teachers and directors implementing it first, or is it the bottom up? Are the students and parents giving enough pushback that creates the change at the top? See, this, this question is where all the difference will be made, right? This is a really awesome question. And honestly, I don't have a perfect answer and no one does, but we all need to have something to say about it. Um, personally, I think it can be done either way. My belief in where I want to, honestly, this is one of the areas I want to work um, as I become a, you know, counseling psychologists, I want to work with directors, I want to work with leaders in the industry. 
Um, I personally believe it will happen the quickest if it's top down, because at the end of the day, those are the people making all of the decisions. And that's where it gets tricky because one of the stereotypes in ballet is if you don't want to be there, fine. There are a million other girls who want to take your spot. And there are a million other girls who yeah. won't say anything and who won't cause me a problem. And that's the problem, right? Yeah. So I, mm-hmm. I wish I could say bottom up. And I think that we can absolutely as dancers or advocates for dancers now be, be helping like with our students, for example, for Sarah, what you were saying about implementing these skills and implementing these you know, ideals and values. And this is what you should hold yourself to or other people to also. Um, and that's important, but I think it has to come from the top down because those are the people that make the decisions. Those are the people who set the tone for the entire organization. So mm-hmm. I think it can change dramatically if they buy into this and if they're willing yeah. to, to explore what that looks like. Yeah. And it's not gonna be easy. And that's what's no. frustrating is I can say that. And like I said, that's a that's an area that I really want to work with because I think it could be so dramatically beneficial. Um, you know, one of my like mm-hmm. goals in life, if you will, is um, to kind of be like a, a lecturer, a keynote speaker all over the world for ballet companies and for people, you know, bringing, bringing the leaders together, bringing the artistic staff together, the entire staff, not just the artistic director, the entire staff, the ballet yes. masters, ballet mistress, you know, I don't know, costume yeah. people, whatever that looks like, yeah. but bringing them Even all the together. the administrators feeds into the same mission. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I would not skip lightly over the costume staff or like who's creating the costumes. That is a mm-hmm huge i mean not to say it's not for young men i just don't i can only speak to my own experience but as a young woman having comments made during costuming like amen that needs to be a a voice at the table for mental health well and it's interesting because if you think about corporate america they have no problem doing these leadership retreats where they learn all of these new techniques and they have a great HR department. I mean, no ballet company I know of has an HR department, you know? No, so. why would you Why would you need that? <laughs> you don't need that. With humans? These are all robots. What are you talking about? And that's even <laughs> scarier because I know some companies that do have an HR department, but there might as well not be one because nothing gets done. Mm. And that's horrible. Mm. You should be mm-hmm. able to have a space where you go to someone with a problem and say this needs to change or i can't this is like illegal he can't do that to me you know and i need to be able to tell you that and then you do something about that and that'd be Mm -hmm. without repercussions without right boom yeah without repercussions yeah i mean if we any of these weird scenarios that all of us dancers have come to accept as normal Mm -hmm. or expected if we take any one of these scenarios and extract it from our industry and put it in another industry, there would be arrest. Like, oh my God. That's what there I'm would saying. be so much uh, unrest. There would be lawsuits. There would be, I mean, but even place. so it would be, I don't know that it would even get to that point because there would be so many red flags and so much intervention before it got to that place, because there's already these systems in place that are supposed to protect you, but there are no systems in place to protect the dancer right now. I don't mean that to sound as black and white as it sounds. I know there are certain yeah. 
right? That's the disclaimer always for our episodes. But in some cases, gee, if we only had some systems to protect mm -hmm. the, the brains and the health of these yeah. people. And point of fact, a lot of the people we're talking about are either 18 years old. I mean, Glenn, you went right into a second company and you hadn't finished college yet. You know, like most people in the court of ballet, I think are going to be much younger. Their brains haven't fully developed yet. I mean, these are oh, yeah. people that are technically adults, but they're oh gosh, still- I was 20. I had no clue what I was doing with my life. It wasn't done yet. Not that I do now. Well, yeah. And even when you're talking about pre-professional schools, right? When you're in those elite training programs, there's still so much mental health pressures involved. And these are minors. These are minors. And sometimes you have a parent involved, like Glenn, you mentioned your mom, you had someone in your close circle who you could talk to because that resource wasn't necessarily available in the way, you know, whatever that looked like, wherever you were, but there might be other dancers who don't have access to that. And that's where I think it is your responsibility as a teacher and as an educator. And Sarah says this a lot, right? At the end of the day, you are an adult, you are working with children, you have to advocate for their health and safety, period. Such a great discussion. Um, do you have any other thoughts on that, Glenn? I was just going to agree. And I think that's, and that's why I think it needs to happen from the top or at least some sort of middle level where it's like the teachers mm -hmm. making some sort of difference. Mm -hmm. um, and I think already teachers, you see them as more personable a lot of the times than maybe your artistic yeah. director. So that's good. But like an, art, like, a, like an HR representative, if you go to your teacher for something, they should be advocating for you, not also worried mm -hmm. that they might get, I don't know, fired for telling on someone right. or whatever that looks yeah, like. Yeah, reprimanded or something. Yeah. It, and to the point that you guys are making about, it wouldn't happen like this anywhere else. I think that's, that's, what, that's what's so crazy and bizarre about the ballet world. And uh, again, this doesn't happen everywhere, but so. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of a lot of our directors or principals out there of schools who might be listening, um, who are interested in making those changes, we have to acknowledge that um, doing trainings and um, there, there's definitely an expense, you know, for stuff like that. Um, but if funding weren't an issue, what do you think would be the most impactful way to improve the mental health for ballet dancers? And you can pick you know, young dancers, professional dancers, collegiate dancers, whatever you want to want to speak to, or all three. But what what ways can we can we change? Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. So I have a few ideas. <laughs> so one one idea, and this is kind of more of like the academic side of me talking. There needs to be more research in the U.S. I feel done on on the impact of you know, conversations we're having on the impact of pressures, on the impact of, you know, automatic thoughts and triggers and certain things like that. And, and somehow implementing that into programs so that they can understand whether that be hiring someone, you know, to be an associate or a consultant with your team. Like I know some companies do have um, sports psychologists on staff or mental health professionals. Um, but way less than there should be. Um, so I guess now I'm kind of going all over the place. The first thing I would say 
is every single company needs to have some sort of sports psychologist on staff. I feel like they need to be as accessible as a physical therapist because every single company has a physical therapist. So why in the world wouldn't every single company have a sports psychologist? Yeah. Um, And then also to Sarah, I think it was something you had mentioned earlier about organizations being so willing to bring in people for like organizational seminars, leadership seminars or whatever that looks like. I think having a lot of those implemented too, maybe, you know, whether it's three times a year, whether it's four times a year um, and separate from the dancers to where we're having maybe one with the artistic staff, maybe we're having one with the dancers, maybe we're having one where it's all together to where we can work on different things. Like with the artistic staff, we might talk about leadership. We might talk about um, understanding the whole dancer, understanding the, um, you know, cognitive behavioral side to it and what certain things do, what certain pressures do. And that obviously blends into research as well. Um, And then bringing them together, having conversations. Gosh, I I think that's what's so sad is it doesn't even take money. Let's have a conversation. Let's all sit down together. Yes. Let's just talk about it. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? That's what's so frustrating because it doesn't take me to sit down with an artistic director and just like, what's going on for you? And I understand maybe that that's how you grew up, but that's not how it is anymore. So yeah. let's change it for the better of everybody. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for the better. Bringing in their own, their own baggage from how they were treated as right. students. And so, I mean, I really get sick and tired of hearing, well, if it was good enough for me, then... If, if I got to where I am because of the way I was treated, then that's the way you got to treat your kids oh and then God. they'll succeed as well. But it's like, how many artists are we losing in the process? You know? Yeah. Of course there might be that one kid that, you know, has the resiliency to, to fight through that and make it, but how much better would they be? And, or how many dancers did we lose along the way, you know? And, and how much more funding would we have if everyone who danced would go back and support the arts instead of run away? <laughs> right, but that's a problem. People want to run away. <laughs> like, that's the thing. A lot of bad experiences <laughs> lead to not wanting to be involved. You know, maybe mm-hmm. not for everyone. Maybe there are other cases where they just get involved in other ways, but... But in terms of something, Sarah, that you said that hit home was just like the way that they perceive what happened to them and then taking that into what they do. That's why they need to work with a a mental health counselor. Like you have a lot Mm -hmm. there. We need to Mm -hmm. talk about that because leadership 101, you know, you should never go into a situation where you're like, well, this is how it was for me. So this is how it's going to be for you because I did it. So you should too. That's that's not the best way to go about the situation. A lot of people are going to resent you for that. Mm-hmm. One of the things that is so important is to just be coachable. And this idea that you're good, you're done, you don't have anything else to learn, you know exactly what you're supposed to do, instead of just understanding that as years pass, as more research comes out, as more knowledge grows, as as we understand the human condition better, whatever you want to call it, if you as a teacher and as a director and as a choreographer, as a costume person, whoever you are, if you can allow yourself to be coachable, then we can really change things if you will allow yourself to be coachable, but it starts with you allowing yourself to be in that vulnerable space. You have to have that give and receive. Oh, absolutely. Again, the fixed mindset versus the growth mindset, you have to be willing to work on yourself and to work on, you know, even if you don't see it as a problem, if the entire company does, there's a problem. Right. I think you really just hit that on the head. Yeah. Yeah. 
Gosh, what's, there's like a saying, I feel like it's if you're the only person in the room who, you know, thinks that, gosh, I don't, I'm, I'm completely butchering this, so this isn't any good, but something about if you're the only person in the room who thinks like what's happening is the way you see it, but everyone else sees it a different way, uh -huh. then there's probably something wrong with the way you're seeing it. Mm -hmm. Right. So many times there are people, you know, who are so focused on their own vision, have their blinders on and what they see. Um, that they're not willing to even open up. And that's the thing. You have to be willing to at least open up to hear what someone else sees. Um, mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, we all want this to be a beautiful thing. We all want the ballet industry to thrive. Yes. I would love to see the ballet industry grow in America and become something more than it is now. That would be fantastic. But to do that, we all have yeah. to, while having that vision, be willing to work on it together. And I mean, at the end of the day, why are we here? Why does ballet exist? And I, I ask my kids this all the time. Why are you doing this piece? And I said, so we can perform. And I said, no, <laughs> the reason you're here is to communicate. That's all you're doing as a dancer. And that's the whole point of this, in my opinion, is to communicate with your audience. And if we don't have people in our industry who are vulnerable to communicate, then what are we doing? Exactly. That's the whole point. So. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. How can you do one without the other? Well, this has been so wonderful as, as much as I knew it would be, Glenn. Thank you so much. <laughs> do you have any final thoughts before we get to our, uh, our fun last question? No, I think this has been, I didn't know I was going to get so passionate about this. Wow. Like <laughs> we got you a little fired up. You guys have got me all fired up. I'm like ready to go it. run through a brick wall. Like, let's <laughs> go, let's, let's take this ballet world to the next level. I just think yeah. remembering that that's why we're doing this. Like, that's why we're so mm -hmm. passionate about wanting to make a change is because we want it to be great. We want it to be grow and we want to see mm -hmm. amazing things come out of the industry. And so it's not coming from a place of like telling you you're wrong necessarily, but like, let's work together to make this better and to grow this yes. into something we want it to become. Glenn, yep. we are so lucky. The ballet world is so lucky to have you. We can't I'm wait so to excited. see what, what's going to yeah. happen with your career. This is just so amazing. So before we let you go, we're going to pose the same question to you that we do to everyone on the show. So I want <laughs> you to step into your time machine and go back in time and think about what advice you would give to yourself as a young dancer? Yeah, that's an awesome question. And, uh, and my first thought is just be cool with being who you are. Don't worry about other people's opinions. And I know that is cliche and it's so hard to believe, but it is also an industry where you are so quick to judge yourself based on others. And you are so quick to listen to the opinions of others. Um, and that creates really, really bad habits, for lack of a better way of saying it, and dangerous habits um, because of the way that that can develop as you grow older. So I would just say, have fun with it and always remind yourself of why you're doing it. Um, because at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter, you know, what you look like versus someone else, because you're there to be the best version of yourself. You're there to tap into all the potential that you have. And that should be your main focus all the time, because you, you have to live with you. No one else has to live with you. So yes. keep positive, um, have fun with it. And, you know, uh, I don't know. I, I'm trying to find my mic drop. <laughs> <laughs> you had a few within the episode, so yeah. you're good. You're yeah, good. Enjoy. Yeah. Just have fun and don't worry about other people's opinions because the career's not long enough to be able to, to waste time doing other things. That's smart. Yep. 
Thank you. Oh, well, thanks again for all your time today. Before, um, before we head out, go ahead and plug your social media. Where can our listeners find you? I know you're still emerging in your career and still going through the academic side, but where can, pe- where can people watch you grow? Yeah, so my personal Instagram is JG Keelish, J-G-K-E-L-I-C-H. Um, that's just kind of my personal Instagram. I have a, another Instagram where I like to throw out mindset hacks, success strategies, and I'll be growing that um, more as time goes on. Uh, it's called The Mental Game. So the underscore mental game. Mm-hmm. And I kind of dive into just some really general things, but uh, over the very, very coming future i'll i'll uh, expand that a bit more so exciting things but yeah i appreciate you guys so much i just want to say that real quick this has been really really great for me um and i just really really appreciate you guys being willing to have me on and talk about this it's been great absolutely all voices at the table yes awesome wonderful well i know we'll probably want to have you on the show again at some point um as we follow your career but for today i hope you have a good rest of your day Thank and you guys. Uh, we'll yeah. talk to you soon. Oh I'll gosh. see you around. Thank you so much. <laughs> see ya. Thanks. Right. Bye, Glenn. Bye. Bye. Sarah, how are you feeling after that one today? <laughs> oh, my goodness. I love him so much. <laughs> he is so he sweet. Great things to say. Yeah, I feel yeah. like he's the like official brother of Dance Better Podcast. <laughs> So much knowledge and so much energy. I just loved his energy. And I really left that interview with more energy than I had going into it. And it was just so great. Yeah, absolutely. For me, it's just really cool to see. um, I mean, we've interviewed people at different stages in their career, I guess you could say. But for Glenn, he's still Mm -hmm. so, he's still in the academic setting. He's still working through this. But to have so much passion on this subject before you have a license Mm -hmm. in hand i am just watching and i'm so excited glenn to see what unfolds as you have that license in hand because it's voices like his that are going to change that are going to change things yeah because when you have the passion and it like it's it's going to shake the ground yeah for sure and all of our dancers out there who are maybe Um, nearing the end of their career, or if you're at a crossroads and you're not sure if you're in college and you're majoring in dance, but you want to add another course of study. I mean, he's such a great example of other things that you can do that will contribute in a very meaningful way to the, to the ballet world in other industries. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, guys, he really is just a wealth of knowledge and Mm -hmm. such a positive spirit, I think. Yeah. He's a cool kid. So, you know, for me, when you're saying that, Sarah, I think about he was saying, you know, when he had when he was at that crossroads, in a sense for himself, trying to have this understanding of what his options are. And he just sent that person an email. If you're listening, and you're like, I kind of think I might want to do that. Glenn, I'm going to put you on the spot here. You guys send him a DM on Instagram, ask him, I am sure he will respond to your questions because he is a stand up guy. Yeah, and he's right in the middle of it, so he can give you some some practical advice that mm-hmm. is very relevant and current, for sure. Absolutely. Um, one thing that he said that I really want to just emphasize here, because I, I wrote it down and circled it <laughs> when he was saying it, but this when he was talking about we have these blinders on, but it's it's in a sense our responsibility to push these boundaries. 
And even if you have those blinders on, it's okay to have a little side eye, <laughs> that side eye comment, right? Of just yes. like, oh. have the, have the confidence, have the courage, have the bravery to have the curiosity. There is that first initial step of, can I look over there? Can I look, you know, yeah. can I look outside my blinders? Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Yes, you and can. And it's not going to hurt your performance in any way. Trust right. us. It is not. Yeah. It is only going to add to your life experience and make you mm -hmm. a better artist, period. Absolutely. And then also give you something else that you're interested in. What about you? Um. Oh, my goodness. So many things. I think really his perspective on teaching kids is what really hit home with me because that's mm -hmm. where I'm at in my season sure. of, of ballet life. So the fact that he is bringing these principles and these attitudes into the classroom in a practical way is so, so exciting. And mm -hmm. I am so excited for his kids, for his, his students. His students. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I love that so much. Well, thank you guys, everybody, for listening today. It was such an incredible episode with Glenn, and we really hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please go ahead, leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, follow us on Spotify, and share our podcast with your community to help us get the word out. And we might even read your review or comment on one of our shows, so watch out for that. Also, if you have any questions, particular topics you'd like us to cover, or guests you'd like to hear from, you can email those to us at dancebetterpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Instagram and send us a DM at dancebetterpodcast. We love hearing from you guys. And to catch us in our own lanes, you can connect with me, Courtney, over on Facebook in Strong and Struggling Zillennial Women. You can find it directly on Facebook or the link is in my Instagram, which is at Court Ulrich and linked down in our show notes. We're talking all about how to level up your relationship with your body image, your emotional health, and your self-worth. And you can follow me on Instagram at Tech Ballet for more information on my virtual ballet programs where I integrate mindfulness work and injury prevention into each class. We approach solid technique training from a place of curiosity and not judgment. Whether you're gearing up for auditions or coming back to the bar from a long break, all are welcome. Thanks again for listening today, guys. We will catch you on the next episode. Bye. Bye.